Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with Good afternoon. Welcome to the War Room. This is Bill Evans, your host. We're up here at Centerville, Tennessee at Christ the King Church for a sort of an impromptu organic uh, strategy summit uh, with Peter Hammond, uh, Jack Campbell, Jeff Botkin, Scott uh, Buss, uh, several other brothers, uh, uh, Tim Yarborough, and a, a really a, a special treat, um, E. Ray Moore from Blythewood, uh, South Carolina, the founder and, uh, and uh, uh, chief bottle washer there at Exodus Mandate is with us. And uh, welcome to the War Room, Thank brother, you, brother Moore. Great to be at this conference. Very, very stimulating, very challenging. You know, this is an, in an in interest of full disclosure. We uh, I visited with uh, Chaplain Moore, brother Ray, uh, dad at his beautiful home in Blythewood there and, and with his wife and their spacious and, and, and comfortable home. And then your trusted uh, podcast uh, host uh, inadvertently um, deleted the file. And so it was imperative that we get uh, Brother Ray back up here and to soak up some of the rich fellowship and iron sharpening and uh, do it better the second time. So, um, and, and really, you, and, and you had a good chance to, to, of course, you were well known to the people up here, were you not? Uh, many uh, know me, and I had met a few of them, um, but a lot of them are on my mailing list to get my information. And, of course, uh, Jeff Botkin was one of the uh, few men um, that I, I think I consulted five brothers back in 1996 when I was planning the Exodus Mandate. I consulted with him to get counsel, and I also consulted with uh, Joe Moorcraft, uh, whose wife was my uh, his wife is my wife's uh, roommate in college uh, back in the late 60s at Agnes Scott in Atlanta. So we, we would go back a long time with, long time with them. So I launched uh, Exodus Mandate, you know, in November of 1997. You know, for um, our War Room listeners, many people who, who may not know your ministry uh, I, I, would it be safe to say, uh, Brother Ray, that, that many of the homeschoolers in America have made their way into that decision without really being aware of Exodus Mandate and your mission? Or do you think that you're sort of a, the gateway for a lot of families? I think we're a gateway for many, but I sure wouldn't want to take credit for the explosion of uh, Christian education and homeschooling in the last several decades. I think we're part of the mix and uh, of those that are advocating this and leading people into it. And I think the thing that was sort of unique when we launched in 1997 was we, so many good men and women were still trying to reform and fix the public school system. So uh, we were one of the first to strongly and publicly call for an exodus and to get completely out of that system and, and leave it behind entirely. And so, uh, in fact, let me just go ahead and give you the mission statement. The Exodus Mandate is a Christian ministry <clears throat> to assist and encourage uh, Christians, uh, families, churches, and pastors to leave behind the government schools, or as I sometimes refer to them, Pharaoh's school system, for the promised land of Christian schools and homeschooling. And by that, we mean K-12 education. And additionally, it's our hope and prayer that a fresh obedience, key phrase in our movement, a fresh obedience by Christian families in educating their children according to biblical commands will prove to be a key for the revival of our families, our churches, and our culture. So that's basically everything we do for 20 years flows out of those two statements. So really, um, God did not leave Israel in Egypt to fix Egypt. Right. 
They were always intended to leave and go back to their promised land. They were there in a sojourn for 400 years. And so, sadly, Christians have been <clears throat> on a sojourn uh, off in a strange land since, uh, in America, really since the 1840s, uh, accommodating themselves and staying in the public school system. And now we, we really think it's been time for a long time to leave. Uh, and the system was never God's ideal or his best. It wasn't a Christian model. But for many, many years, uh, it sort of was benign in some places and accommodated Christian belief. It was not hostile. It wasn't Christian, but it was open to Christianity. I finished high school in 1961. I guess that tells you I'm uh, older. And uh, in Aiken, South Carolina, and we still had chapel uh, once a month and uh, had homeroom uh, prayer and Bible reading every, every day. And there were Christian teachers who were open about their faith. Uh, you would never have been able to get uh, an LGBT agenda or uh, Islamic education in these schools. Now, they did teach evolution, but they also allowed creation to be taught on equal footing. And... Uh, and, and some of the things that are going on in these schools today would have been, if they had tried it in 61, they would have been arrested and put in jail. And they're doing it with permission and uh, it, you know, support of the government today. It's just it's unbelievably out, it's outrageous. And so we think, just like the children of Israel in Egypt, you know, in the time of Pharaoh, they were beaten and mistreated and abused and made to work on the pyramids. And, and God used that to awaken them to say, hey, you need to get out of there and leave. So I think it's sort of like that. I don't think it's a surprise to people who uh, who are who have responded in obedience to their um, to their obligation to uh, train up their children and not to subcontract that, that that task to Caesar, but that from the very inception of government-run education, the organizers. Were, were not secretive about their objective, were they? They, they, they? It's always been fairly well known if one went back and, and read the words of Dewey and mm -hmm. Horace Mann and the various different uh, proponents of government-run education in the 19th century. Uh, it was, and of course, and, and the, and the uh, Communist Manifesto, mm -hmm. that it was implicit, you know, that's, uh, uh, Bojadar Marinoff makes a good point. He says that most American evangelicals uh, recoil and uh, with anger at uh, the various different tenets of Marx's manifesto, mm -hmm. but they wholeheartedly embrace the tenth plank, mm -hmm. which is government-run education. Right. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. That history is not well known, and we're really thankful. And I know probably a lot of your listeners have looked at or utilized the indoctrination movie that was done by Colin Gunn and Joaquin Fernandez came out in 2011. I actually, I had a role in it, a secondary role. I was the executive producer, which means I put up about a third to half of the funds. And it was generally speaking, the strategy for the Exodus mandate. Joaquin Fernandez was the cinema photographer and developed a lot of the script. Colin Gunn was the main actor. So it was a, a joint effort of those two, um, and it's been one of the most important uh, single things that's happened in this movement maybe in the last 20 years because it's hard to know, but uh, 70,000, 75,000 so, uh, copies have been sold or distributed. And I'm guessing, even though there's no way to prove this, it's at least been a million and a half to two million views. And even at this conference, I'm talking to people that are continuing to show it. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. People are looking at it and showing it and passing it around. It just keeps on going. And it's been a tremendous blessing, and and we've seen even as a result of the indoctrination movie, <clears throat> new groups have sprung up, new ministries have formed. Uh, uh, Isaac Moffat out in Idaho has created a thing called the Great Education uh, Struggle, and I think Scott Allen Buss, who is in this congregation, was already doing things before the movie, but he's a, a real rising star in the uh, in the organizations that we work with. And uh, so uh, it's been a, a powerful tool, and I'm getting a little bit away from what I wanted to say about the movie, but in that movie there's a long section on the history of state-sponsored public education. And uh, it's very definitive, very important, 
and most people do not know this history. Generally, this is the way it goes. For the first 200 years of American history, we had no state-sponsored public schools. All the education delivery at the K-12 level was done by churches, family groups, private associations. New England, under the Puritans, had a little bit of a different model. When they immigrated, they came over by congregations, so they set up communities, churches, and then schools. They were kind of a, more like Christian schools, but they were sort of community schools. And they had catechism. They were distinctly Christian in nature. And then in the South, um, of course, this was, you know, way before the re even Revolutionary War, uh, they didn't even have any government involvement or community involvement at all. They were private academies entirely and in Christian and churches. And in the 1840s, uh, we call it, we date it from about 1840, Horace Mann, who was a virulent anti-Christian and a Unitarian, uh, really organized the first state-run tax-subsidized uh, public schools in Boston and Massachusetts, and that was the origin of the model we have today, which is dominant. And the genius, uh, the strategy he used, which was uh, brilliant, but it was, uh, again, deceptive, was uh, prior to the 1830s, we had almost entirely Protestant evangelicals living in the United States. Um, very few Catholics. It was a, almost entirely a Protestant nation. And uh, in the 1830s, you had the Irish potato famine, and just tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Irish Catholics began flocking into Boston, Philadelphia, New York, and it spooked the clergy, the Protestant clergy. So Horace Mann came up with this uh, strategy, which was so deceptive, said, let's create a tax-subsidized, government-sponsored public school system and use these schools to proselytize Catholic children into Protestantism. And sadly, a lot of the uh, pastors went for it. They said, give up your, your church schools, teach your catechism at church, and we'll have sort of a generic brand Protestant Christianity in the schools, which wouldn't have been what we would want, very bland, very uh, broad, kind of Unitarianism, I think they call it today. And um, many of them went for it. Uh, many didn't. Um, and uh, it took it about from 1840 to really the turn of the 20th century to become totally dominant and controlling of all education. The churches gradually, gradually gave up their church schools. And so by the turn of the 20th century, public education as we call it today, was, was a dominant model even for Christians. Now, even as late as the uh, 30s, 40s, and 50s, it wasn't as bad as it is today. But in 62 and 63, when the Supreme Court outlawed Christianity by practicing precept in public schools, that was a real uh, spiraling downward. And so that's kind of the history, and it's important. And thank goodness for indoctrination. Um, you can your people can order that from indoctrinationmovie.com. I don't think there's any way, is there, uh, Brother Ray, that a, 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 an awake a couple pa parents could watch that movie and not come away. I don't know how, how could they possibly. I don't uh, go through that entire movie and the, and the case studies and the people within the system and not decide that they there is just no other choice they have to they have to, to for the for the good for the salvation of the life of their ch children they've got to get them out of that system well it, it's a diabolical system it's and mm -hmm. people who say oh this we need to fix the public school mm -hmm. system it's it failed it's not been a failure it's been an overwhelming success in terms of the intended purpose that its originator who i believe was probably none other than satan himself mm -hmm formulated such a diabolically clever and successful plan to subjugate an entire the minds of an entire civilization well um sadly a lot of christians uh, they claim to be christians they love the lord they say they're born again and they don't make their children their highest priority um i believe barner did some research on this question and showed that only 30 to 40 percent of born-again christian parents see their children's salvation and growth in Christ and development is the highest priority, which is pretty shocking, isn't it, to hear that? So um, 
people have all kinds of excuses. Um, the biggest thing we fight is what we call the salt and light idea. And, I mean, I've had people get angry with me about this, saying you're taking the children out of the public schools where they can be salt and light and missionaries, and what you're doing is wrong. I don't hear it as much anymore because the schools have gained become so toxic and so harmful that people have, have silenced a lot of those people. But that is the number one thing I have to deal with among broad-based evangelicals, mostly Baptists and Pentecostals and others who love the Lord, maybe as much as Reformed people do, but they just don't have a good uh, comprehensive Christian worldview on education. And what's interesting, Paul says, you know, Holy Spirit says to Paul, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Mm -hmm. It, it's you know, or even I think is it is it in Zechariah or Zephaniah that you know if you put a piece of good fruit in a rotten barrel of fruit, mm -hmm. all the rotten fruit mm -hmm. does not become good. Right. But if you put one rotten mm -hmm. piece of fruit in mm -hmm. a good mm -hmm. barrel of fruit, the entire barrel becomes rotten. Right. And so yeah, that flies in the face. Uh, why don't we talk Hol about holiness is breaking down in the evangelical church. We're yeah. kind of losing the concept of holiness and separation from e evil. Yeah. Why don't you tell us that you, now there's a second movie mm -hmm. that is, uh, and I want you to give you this platform to uh, promote and, and, and introduce this second movie. Yes, thank you for that. And also, I would like to ask you, uh, is there a third movie in the works, in your mind, uh, mm -hmm. in your mind's eye? Mm -hmm. What is the next? Uh, obviously, uh, what I want you to be thinking about that because mm -hmm. that will be my follow-up question. Okay. What is the next hurdle okay. that you see on the horizon? Mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. So to, uh, in, why don't you tell us about uh, Phase 2? Okay. Well, Indoctrination, uh, again, has been out since 2011. I have to keep kind of plugging that. It won the National Award for the Christian number one Christian documentary that year, and it's been out five years. And it came out about six months before the Common Core agenda was in the public vocabulary. And uh, that has become a hot issue in the presidential campaign. You, as you remember, uh, Jeb Bush was running in favor of it, and Kasich and uh, Trump and Cruz were hammering away. They ended up being the two finalists on the Republican side, and, and Bush went down to, in flames. And many think part of his defeat was due to his sponsorship of Common Core. It's very unpopular. It's unpopular with Christians and even liberals. You'll find some uh, people who don't share our faith are unhappy with the, this in the public schools. So I saw an opportunity to try to capture the moment. And so I, uh, I went and got another film group. Uh, Colin Gunn and Joaquin, you know, weren't maybe not available because Colin was working on the uh, wait until it's free on a, Obamacare. And I had to rush. Um, to get that out, and it's been out about eight months, and it's called Escaping Common Core, Setting Our Children Free. And the webpage for that, and I hope your listeners will write that down, is escapecommoncore.com. That's escapecommoncore.com. We have a nice trailer. They can order it there. We think that they're on, in tune with what we're doing. <clears throat> Maybe they could order multiple copies and give it to their pastor and elders in their church and others in the neighborhood but it's a nice trailer about 10 minutes i'll be talking a couple of others are talking and you'll get a kind of a sense of the movie and that's just been out eight months and we really out of, we need help on that really badly because we don't have a lot of the big groups behind it like we're behind vision forum i mean excuse me vision forum and answers in genesis and others were behind the uh indoctrination movie uh, is common core basically would you describe Common Core as um, is a comprehensive curriculum. Well, it's an agenda, <clears throat> and and they set standards, and the curriculum is sort of coming along. And the era of it <clears throat> is the state is controlling the standards, and they initially set standards in uh, in the uh, language arts area and in the uh, mathematics. And now they're working in the sciences and social uh, sciences, and they're really coming along. I haven't quite looked at the uh, progress they've made yet. Uh, and it sounds benign, <clears throat> but it's not because the standards are not in conformity with what we'd call Christian ideals or Christian worldview. 
It's a very leftist agenda. Uh, it manifests itself in ways like they're doing away. Even public schools had uh, comprehensive literature. You had to study British and American literature, and you had to do things that were historically relevant to our culture. And they're taking all that out and just having information text, disjointed, not connected. One, one day you'll study maybe something briefly about Shakespeare, and then the next time it's something off the wall that, you know, some communist writer. Uh, it's just incredible. So the uh, kids are just not being educated <clears throat> uh, at all. And, it's, and, and even uh, non-Christian, uh, secular-minded people are upset about it. Um, I was just in uh, northwest Arkansas where we set up an Exodus Mandate chapter. And the couple that's going to be leading it, uh, the husband teaches at a, a, a secular university in southern Missouri, teaches mathematics. He's got a Ph.D. <clears throat> there. And he was telling me that the Common Core agenda is so harmful uh, in, in, in the area of mathematics that 56% uh, of the children, uh, boys and girls, the young men and women coming to the university there can't do a basic math course, so they all have to have remediated math. 56%, you know, and everybody, when you go to a university, even if you major in, you know, science, science uh, history or something, you have to take some basic math courses. So they all having to take re, uh, remediation in math, and he says a lot of them can't pass that because they have no background. They just go through 12 years and have very poor instruction. And, of course, the sad part that he reported was that the universities <clears throat> can't function, so they're capitulating to Common Core, and they're trying to interject it into the university level, and so they're, they've dumbed down K-12 public education. Now they're going to dumb down university education. He's just amazed at it. So it's uh, dumbing down, and it, it's intentional. Uh, the uh, government is trying to create a, a, a population of sheep, people who can't think. 10 or 15 percent of the children will get good education, so they control the population. If you can't think and you can't read, you won't vote properly. And it's, it's an intentional dumbing down. And um, people find that hard to believe, but the evidence is just overwhelming. You know, it reminds me of uh, what Gary North talks about is the public school system being the secular church. It is their temple. Mm -hmm. The education is their cathedral. The colleges mm -hmm. are the universities are the cathedral. And this is the big village church. And it reminds me as these, as these social scientists, so-called, uh, literally craft weapons designed to poison our children's minds mm -hmm. and to make and to make them slaves incapable of critical thinking and to uh, literally uh, uh, evangelize them and w with the gospel that the state is their god and their savior mm -hmm. it almost reminds me of a of a of a, of a, a passage in job 12 where he says uh, he deprives the leader, speaking of God in, in judgment, uh -huh. deprives the leaders of the earth their reason and sends them wandering through trackless wastes and they grope in darkness with no light. He makes them stagger like drunkards. And, these, and, and, and really, the, 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 the inmates are in charge of the asylum, aren't they, Brother Ray? Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a serious thing. Of course, the church can take action, but they're not doing it fast enough. Okay. Four percent of uh, people in K-12 education are being homeschooled now, just four percent, and the vast majority of those are evangelicals, children. But we estimate 70, 80 percent of born-again Christian children are still in the public schools, and um, it's hard to know exactly because sometimes you have professing people who are not, don't have a real faith. But there may be as many as 12, 15 million uh, Christian children still in the public schools nationally. And it's just, it's incredible. Well, there's a lot of questions I can ask you. And I want to get on to your, uh, to your, uh, what you think is the next needed work mm -hmm. that you need, that you're, mm -hmm. that you and your staff need to begin to think about. But let me ask this, you know, we, obviously we're Americans and we think, or we're rather ethnocentric. We see ourselves as sort of the center of the universe. I would ask this. You would obviously know because this is your ballywick. Uh, are there sections of the country? Are there demographics of the United States? Are the people of this country where the receptivity to 
homeschooling has been much greater than others, uh, not just among in Christians, but in various different geographic. I'm curious about that. Curious about that. And also, I want to know if you're if Exodus mandate is keeping tabs on other growing centers of influence for homeschooling in other large industrial or Christian or nations with a Christian presence. In other words, mm-hmm. is there? Uh, I, I, now I know that 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 that. Uh, there are some former Soviet republics where homeschooling has now been made legal and, and it's starting to, to take off. But I'd like to, you to speak to that about, uh, uh-huh. and, and the other thing, because there's a lot, I get these big brain dumps. The other thing, speak to the pastors and the elders of the American churches who remain silent on this uh-huh. issue. What is your word of uh-huh. warning, rebuke? As an, as an elder of the Lord, as an elder in Christ's church, what is your word to these shepherds? Okay. Now, the first question, uh, we're a small staff. We have, you know, three paid staff, and uh, we have about 20 state coordinators. They're not all state coordinators. They might be a district count coordinator. So we do have a huge volunteer staff. And I, I was just in Arkansas uh, last weekend and, and organized a chapter. Real happy with the couple that's leading that. Uh, real educated. They've got uh, seven homeschool kids and been doing it 15 years. The wife Angela is very, very organized, and the husband's a PhD in mathematics and teaches at the university. So I was just so pleased to meet them, and they're well connected. And I think she told me in the Northwest Arkansas area, which is around Bentonville, Fayetteville, uh, Springdale, right next to Missouri. Make 5,000 kids are being homeschooled there. And it's a very lively area. A lot of the evangelicals live there. Um, in some parts of the United States where the evangelical or Christian church is weak and small, the culture is so harmful and egregious. I'm told, and you know, again, knowing the details is a little hard, that you won't find many committed Christian families that have their kids in public school. That would be maybe states like Oregon, Washington State, which is one of the least uh, church-attending states in the nation, parts of California. If you're a serious Christian, you're either homeschooling your kids or have them in a Christian school. It's harder in the South, in the Midwest, where there's still some residual Christian civilization. I use the word residual where uh, you have a lot of Christian teachers in the public schools. They have not been expelled. They're not being aggressively persecuted. And, and so the, and the church, the school, the local public school, centers around football on Friday night, and it's more of a central part of the community life. And some rural counties, very rural counties in the South, the public school system is the number one employer. It's hard for people to see and do something when their livelihood tells them not to. So we have a harder time in the rural areas where Christianity is strong, but they hold on to their public schools more, which is a real tragedy because they're going to have the same, all these LGBT problems are going to come right into small-town America. Um, I was just talking to a, a, one of my board members that lives in Anderson, South Carolina. His brother was a former legislator, and the brother reported that his grandkids are in a public school in Anderson, Bible Belt, Pentecostal, Baptist, Presbyterian church is very plentiful, and they're an evangelical family in the public school in the third and sixth grade, and they're teaching them homosexuality in the public school there in Anderson, South Carolina. I don't know the name of the school. Talked to another family from Dahlonega, Georgia, and another rural area in the south, and uh, they're, they've got Islam in the schools in, the, in that area, but no Christianity. So this is just going on everywhere. It's widespread. Um, another story just to show you how pervasive this will be in the South. Talking to a lady from Plano, Texas, which is a school district just north of Dallas. Heavy, heavy Christian area. You know, got Dallas Seminary there and all these Bible colleges and these big evangelical mega churches in the Plano area of, of just north of Dallas. Mm-hmm. Chuck Swindoll's church is there. This lady is assistant superintendent of public schools in Plano and a member of Swindoll's church. And, um, you know, he's a famous uh, radio preacher and former president of Dallas Seminary, you know, really one of the most famous evangelicals in the world. Big church. And uh, she reported to me 
I mean, she's got a high job in the public school system, a lovely Christian woman. I know she loves Jesus as much as you and I do. And she says, I got a directive, and this was back in September of last year. I got a directive, didn't tell me if it was from the federal government or the state, that we would, in the Plano School District, be implementing transgender and LGBT education in the near term. And it would be her that was, you know, given the assignment. Of course, she wasn't planning to do it, but I'm sure if she didn't, she's gone by now, and they probably put a homosexual person in the job. And she told me in this district, half the public school teachers were even from the evangelical churches and maybe a third of the children. And this is, so this is the predicament we're in, and this is sweeping through our, our churches and our schools, and the pastors are brain dead or sound asleep. It's just the most amazing thing I've seen. Now, you, in an earlier, in an earlier, uh, in an earlier interview, you, uh, you made clear to me that there are studies and um, that show that not only is the development of children that are homeschooled, obviously they're getting a Christian worldview and they're getting a, a, a more factually correct, uh, balanced uh, education, but you also spoke to the personal development of those children mm-hmm. by the increased uh, connectedness and, and, and prolonged close time with their f- mothers and fathers mm-hmm. so that there was a lot of inter- there was a lot of, of, of growth that would see them uh, and make them capable of having healthier relationships mm-hmm. and are uh, having a, a pro-family mm-hmm. uh skills okay. that, that aside from the poor education mm-hmm. that, that that children receive in the public school system mm-hmm. tell, speak to a little bit about okay. to their development well let me say something about the studies uh dr brian ray uh is the leading uh, researcher on home education in the world and he, who's accepted by both the secular world and the christian world he's a phd he's a christian man homeschools eight kids he may have more by now and he's done a lot of real good data uh, searching. And he did a study about 10 years ago called Homeschooling Grown Up, where he tested the cultural, social, and uh, educational and work experience and the spiritual values of 7,000 homeschooled children who were in their 20s and 30s. Some of them already had their families, their professions. They were no longer children. They were young adults. And what was uh, exciting about the study was that 93 or 94% of them were continuing in the Christian faith and the church traditions of their parents. Whereas uh, Dan Smithwick of the Nehemiah Institute and others have done research on evangelical children in public school, homeschool, and Christian school. And about 80% of children from evangelical families born-again, solid, conservative, Bible-believing families who public school their children through their careers, 80% of those children test secular humanists or Marxist socialists on a worldview, and less than 20% test moderate Christian or Christian worldview. And he's tested over 100,000 children in the last 25 to 30 years, and they're all from evangelical churches. So there's a holocaust going on in the evangelical world because of public education. Now, is there a, there, but there is also a sense in which children who are basically educated in a factory model, a factory model mm-hmm. versus the model provided by the home, uh, they don't, internally, their development in terms of personal relation skills, mm-hmm. self-esteem, mm-hmm. Uh, ability to express themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we have is a factory, cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all mm-hmm. educational yeah. factory mm-hmm. model in the government mm-hmm. school. Yeah, also Dr. Brian Ray and others have done a new recent study called the Gen 2 study, which is looking at this at the generation of homeschooling. And, and this uh, study homeschoolers hold up he looks more at the social development which is an issue that you've raised um they uh sadly 
we're finding the performance of our private evangelical Christian schools is not up to par. Uh, 40, 50 percent of them are dropping out. And because of that, one of the reasons that they use a lot of social, uh, a lot of curriculum that's not Christian, and then they still follow the secular schooling model, even though they may impose on it evangelical teaching and all. So that's a, a, a something that needs to be reformed. <coughs> there was a study done, and I'm really shopping this idea around, and I, I don't know if this is what you're referring to, um, done uh, in, in the 1880s, believe it or not, uh, and we need somebody to go and do this scientific study, but it was a, it was a big controversy in 1886, and you can go on the internet and find this, it's, it's very fascinating, and it was a man named Zach Montgomery, and he was a prominent lawyer from California who was nominated by Grover Cleveland to be on the, uh, be the Deputy Attorney General of the United States. He was a Catholic man who wrote in, uh, books and articles and lectured against public schooling, very aggressively so. And uh, if you go and read his writings today and you remove references to the Pope or the Vatican, it's something I could have written. I mean, it was like a Baptist of Presbyterian wrote. It was so theological and uh, argued from, you know, scripture and, and good tradition. And this is what he sh tried to show, and it caused real controversy. He was confirmed by the U.S. Senate, but it was a battle. And I think you can go online and look up poison drops in the U.S. Senate, and then the man's name is Zach Montgomery. Fascinating study. Very primitive statistical research by today's standards, but I believe he was onto something, and we need a modern version of this. But he went and studied New England, uh, the New England states, uh, extreme northeast states, uh, and public education began to come into the, that region in the 1830s through the 1860s. So by 1860, it was dominant, and it had a one full generation where state education was dominant. The southeast had no state-run public schools. So he went and created a, a graphs comparing insanity, venereal disease, suicide, prison population, and all these uh, social problems that we have today, comparing Connecticut to Georgia or North Carolina, and you had virtually no prisons in the South, had no public schools, but where you had public education, all these problems started showing up, crime problems. And he, his argument was that breaking the parent-child bond prematurely, taking a child out of the home, away from their parents prior to puberty, I believe, created insecurity in the child and rebellion. And, and, and if he stayed in the home longer, he, was, he bonded with his parents longer and he was, he was normal. And I really believe that that study is a valid study, and I am desperate to try to find somebody who's got the funds who will go and do a similar study today. We think that the system is breaking down normalcy in lives. As you said, these children who are homeschooled, they're a different breed, stable, normal, and uh, they do well academically, socially, culturally, and even as Dr. Brian Ray said, 94% stay in the church and the Christian faith. Um, you have... Uh, Ken Ham has been a big ally. Uh, his um, uh, already gone book. Right. right. Uh, <clears throat> you know, are there statistics? I know you talked about how they test on the Gen Two and, and mm -hmm. the various different tests as far as their worldview, how they come in. Uh, is there are there and I think didn't we talk about before some statistics? You had some raw data on percentage wide of percentage-wise, maybe from Ken Ham's book or his study, mm -hmm. on the percentage of <clears throat> Christian children, or presumably Christian children, or ch children from Christian families that attend government-run schools, what percentage of them abandon the faith? Okay. Um, there's a lot of different studies I'm kind of, you know, kind of reaching now. Um, Barna has done some research on this. Um, the Southern Baptist Family Life Council in 2002 published a, a study which they have withdrawn and really won't make, a, make it available, but they did post this in, in a, a news uh, item that they're losing 80% of their children 
in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I think it's so embarrassing that they're not willing to go fur further. Smithwick, the, with the Pierce test, has tested the worldview. So we're sort of generally saying that we're losing 70, 80 percent of our Christian children if they've been public school. And uh, we base it on kind of a lot of different studies. And, um, but a lot of it has to do with the worldview. They, and as Erwin Lutzer said in the indoctrination movie, sometimes they sit in the pews, but they, they've been, their soul and mind has been captured already by the left, even though they're sitting in our churches. So when they get to be 18 to 20, they just drop out. As you study um, education, the history of education, mm -hmm. uh, the, educa this, the, the history of Christian education, um, when we think of great minds and great men of the past, uh, we think normally, whether or not this is accurate in every case, we normally think of a, some sort of a mentoring system. These were prodigies. Uh, mm -hmm. They were exceptionally bright, and, and they were like they were reading by the time they were three, and they went to mm -hmm. you know, Oxford or Cambridge by the time they were 12 or whatever. But hasn't there been uh, a, a fairly strong church-based Christian education history in the past. In other oh, words, yeah. I, I don't. But even before I really was aware of homeschooling, mm -hmm. uh, of course, I was a product of a parochial school. Mm -hmm. uh, it was I was raised Roman Catholic, mm -hmm. and 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 that obviously didn't help me much in terms of my soteriology. Mm -hmm. But it did teach me how to read, and it gave mm -hmm. me a, some structure. Mm -hmm. So much so that when I went to a, for my first public school at, in seventh grade. I mean, they thought I was a, a whiz kid, mm -hmm. not because I was any smarter than anybody else. I just got a much better education. Right. But, but, and again, where we have the biggest hurdle where people saying, hey, look, you know, uh, we don't think, uh, we need two incomes. Mm -hmm. We can't work this out. We can't mm -hmm. juggle this responsibility. And then on the other hand, we've got all these mm -hmm. administrators and educators who are Christians. They're sitting in the pews in the churches on, the, on Sunday, but they're working in government schools. Yeah. Wouldn't it seem like the the common sense common sense synergistic solution to that was to create a church school, you uh -huh. and then offer these administrators and educators that are now working uh -huh. for the state uh -huh. to work directly for the parents and be answerable directly to the parents under the uh, under the direction of the elders, uh -huh. and, and, and 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 at the very least, although I would it, I, I imagine that they. Where, where possible, whenever possible, homeschooling is still superior. As you mentioned, there, mm -hmm. some of these church schools are still using deficient right. curriculum and textbooks mm -hmm. that are slanted. And, and But at the very least, you think that every strong, healthy, uh, orthodox congregation would at the very least have <clears throat> either the rudiments of a, of a church or a congregational school or at the very least... Some homeschooling mentor families set up. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a, it's a lack of the will. Um, I'll tell you a story. This is a true story, and I got permission to use it. I don't want to use too many names, but you know, Proposition Eight carried in California about ten years ago, and it and they won fifty-two to forty-eight in the most liberal state in the nation that only a, a marriage could exist between a man and a woman. And within a year or two after the win by the conservatives and Christians and traditional thinking people, a federal judge, a Bush-appointed federal judge who happened to be a homosexual, threw it out and invalidated it. Then the governor of California and the attorney general were not in favor of what the Christians had done, so they wouldn't defend it. So they, they literally had no standing. They couldn't, they couldn't defend their proposition. And one of the big leaders in the movement, a famous pastor in Southern California, I'd rather not call his name, a good man, a fighter, a fighting pastor, a big church, called a friend of mine, Cynthia Dunbar, <clears throat> and at that time, Cynthia was on the faculty at Liberty Law School in, uh, Lynch, in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia, and she was also serving on the State Board of Education in Texas, which had a Christian majority. And they weren't able to put, uh, put Christian curriculum in, but they were blocking the liberals blocking the door from a lot of the really bad things that were going on like the LGBT. And this pastor, who was one of the big leaders in California, called her frantically one day, and he said, Cynthia, Cynthia, what can we do? He said, we won the battle for the proposition. They spent $70 million to win that battle. And they've thrown it out, 
And now the homosexual movement is sweeping through our schools, just flooding into our public schools and corrupting our children. What can we do? He was really very concerned. And uh, she said, I'll call him Bill. His name is not Bill, but we'll call him Bill. Bill, there's only one thing left to do now. Nothing else will work. You've got to boycott the schools and pull out of the schools for one year. Now, she agrees with the exodus, but she was giving him a little bite-sized piece of what he could do. And this is what he said. This is one of our best pastors. We can't do that. We can't possibly do that. He said we have to have two parents working just to maintain the family budget and pay the bills and the mortgage in the, in the car we have, and we need the sc- public schools for babysitting. We can't possibly do that. And he said, even in my own church, this is an evangelical church now, about 6,000 people, we've got a lot of people that are employed by the public school system. We can't do that. And she said, Bill, I told you the only thing left to do. I have. Been, this is the predicament we're in. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this I, is one of our best men. Yeah, and I know some good pastors, and I've sat in under some, some ex, exegetically sound preaching. And while the atmosphere in the congregation, from the elders through the deacons to the various different ladies' ministries and groups that, 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 that are operating within the church, there is, there's not an, an antagonism towards homeschooling. They may have, you know, sort of a, a Thursday afternoon co-op where mm-hmm. they get together. And, mm-hmm. But as far as the pastor, the elder ever proclaiming, you know, teaching on this topic from the pulpit. Uh-huh. They won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Right. I'm writing a little booklet right now. Pray for me. I hope to have it done by the end of the year, and it's going to be How to Save the Children in Your Church and Not Lose Your Job, and it's going to be written for pastors. <laughs> um, there's some bright spots, but the big megachurches won't touch this because they have so many public school addicts in their membership. And a, a typical pastor, if you get 5% disgruntled members, you're out of there. I had a, uh, I had a movie years ago in, around 1999 called Let My Children Go and a book called Let My Children Go. Where, of course, since then we've had two better movies, and I'm revising the book now for the end of this year. And I gave it to one of the big Southern Baptist pastors in Columbia, South Carolina, who was a very good gospel man, church of about 2,000, and he was a faithful preacher of the gospel and probably had evangelized and baptized a third of the members of the church himself. And he, I gave him my book, he read it, and I gave him my movie, and he kept it a couple of months, and we met, and he, he gave it back to me. He said, Ray, if I tried to do what you're suggesting, he said, they would throw me out on the street. He said, I've got 30 public school teachers in my church. So this is a predicament we're in. Now, give me, let me give you a couple of happy stories. And they're union members, and yeah, they have pensions. Yeah, yeah. They, even if they started a pub, yeah. even if the church started a Christian school, these employees of the government-run schools couldn't afford to leave their pensions behind. Yeah, well, let me tell you a happy story, okay? In High Springs, uh, Florida, uh, maybe 12... 15 years ago now, I'm a little forgetful on the deadline, we, we have a act, real active program in Florida, and so our coordinator was at the Florida Baptist Convention, and he was passing out our materials, and a, a pastor from High Springs, Florida, got the material. A good, godly man. Didn't know any of this stuff was going on in the school. Just sort of, a lot of them were just oblivious to it, and it shocked him. <clears throat> So he got back to the church, and he made about a dozen copies. This is the biggest church in that county, a church of 1,500. And um, he got a, a copies of all the materials and studied it and then called in a dozen, the dozen public school teachers in the church. They were all members of his church and distributed it to them and said, Tell me, is this really true, what Exodus Mandate is saying about the schools? This is, is this going on in our schools? And he said initially, some of them got kind of upset that he had done this, but then they settled down, and they said, yes, this is happening in many places, confirmed it. So he said to them, if this is true, we have got a moral obligation to take care of our children in our church. If this is true, we must take care of the children in the county. And I'm asking you to help me start a Christian school in a church. 
and five of the teachers resigned from the public schools and helped staff the school. And there's a church, a school in that town today of a couple hundred children, and they just recently built a new plant that cost them nearly a million dollars. So it can be done. He, fed, he met it head on and confronted it, and the people went with him. Well, you know, it's the same thing with uh, the churches, the, the, the failure of the, of the body of Christ to take a stand against uh, child sacrifice. The mm-hmm. fear of man is a mm-hmm. snare, mm-hmm. And, uh, well, and the only antidote f- to it is the fear of God. Yeah. And now this church was a large church, Bill. It was about 1,500. But it, generally we find our successes are in the small to medium-sized congregations where you, have, you can manage it a little bit better. Uh, in northwest Arkansas, my coordinators, my, uh, Angela and Grant, attend a Southern Baptist church, and, um, and the pastor is homeschooling six children. He was in a church. He's been at this church about eight years. He, I think he might have formed it. Um, he, but previously, he was at a church in uh, Louisiana, and all public school. He had 30 teachers, public school teachers in the church, and he was walking on pins and needles, but he was a homeschool dad. And he said by the time he left there, 25% of the congregation were homeschooling. And he said, I didn't push it on him. I just set the example. But this church that he's in now, <laughs> it's a lot like Christ the King Church. About 175 people, 15 families. Everybody's homeschooling. They have six, eight, and ten kids apiece. And it's the most vital, exciting thing. And this preacher is a good preacher, and he's and they're just growing. That brings up another topic that was – I believe I heard you uh, mention it, uh, Brother Ray, this weekend at our summit, is that – and as I've commented, you know, the races are always won or lost in the passing of the baton. And – what are the statistics, and what are what is sort of uh, maybe the word recidivism is not the right. This is not the right application. But what are the statistics, and what are some of the challenges for multi generational homeschooling? Okay, um, Jeff and uh, Victoria Bachton have done some writing on this, and I have not looked in this fully. I've kind of looked at their research, but they are, they they say we're breaking down and passing the baton. That and sometimes. Uh, we raise our children in the Christian faith, but we don't communicate the vision and the reason, and so they don't have the same burden that we had when we, what we saw, so they don't pass it on. And I just, I don't quite know how desperate that is, but I think Victoria and Jeff are saying it's, it's more serious. Uh, Brian Ray, uh, 10 or 12 years ago, had a study that said that about 94% were continuing in the Christian faith, but w- the test will be passing the torch to the third generation. And uh, so I, 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 I'm a little uncertain of how, how serious that is. But it well, you know, I, I, even, in the, even in the cases where um, the children do follow in the faith of their fathers, mm-hmm. um, if the fathers have a pietistic mm-hmm. faith, mm-hmm. if they have an antinomian faith, mm-hmm. if they have a man-centered, emotion-driven faith— mm-hmm. Well, then that it, it would sort of follow that the children will have that, and that, and, and, and that sort of a faith ultimately will succumb uh, to the headwinds mm-hmm. and the current that, that, that strives against it. So I think perhaps one of the things you see here is a, is a, is a virulent, uh, militant mm-hmm. uh, faith is... Something that uh, Bojidar Marinoff was talking, and of course he, Bojidar and Maggie were at their, when they were raising their children, their young children in Bulgaria, former Eastern uh, Soviet bloc nation. They were the only homeschooling family in their mm-hmm. in their nation, and now there are somewhere between five hundred and a thousand homeschooling families, wow. and it's legal. But he his comment to me is that the most important thing you can do not only in your children's education uh-huh. and obviously the the state the government run education will will give the child none of this uh-huh. but even a good sound orthodox evangelical christian uh <clears throat> education won't necessarily give the child a comprehensive vision of victory uh-huh. and and what what Bojidar says is that one of the the primary emphases of their 
faith for all of life training, uh-huh. their, their Christian education, their, their scholastic education, their classic education was, what are you going to do with this education? You're not, we're not, just, uh-huh. you're not yeah. just getting this education so you're going to be equipped to go out there and compete in the rat race. Yeah. But you, we want you to be acquiring this knowledge and this vision so that when you leave our home and you leave the nest, uh-huh. you're going to go out there and look for that that hundred acres that the Lord has bequeathed to you, and you're going to plant uh-huh. a flag. Uh-huh. You're going to begin to grow a garden uh-huh. and plant a Christian civilization there. I think, uh, frankly, when homeschooling started, we were pioneers. We started in 77, and we called it our family school. We didn't even call, use the word homeschooling. And the word kind of came along because it was such a break on scoop with schooling. And so the word defining the movement was called homeschooling. And I think it's a, actually a bad choice. I think we would have been better served having a term like biblical parenting because schooling is a big part of it. But it's, and, and, if, and if that's all you're doing, your, your children could grow up unbelievers. You could be doing the same thing as secular schools are doing. I was talking to a leader recently, and I'm, I'm not going to get too specific on this, but he happened to be a Presbyterian, and he gave his kids a wonderful academic training, but he didn't emphasize the spiritual life enough. And so one of them's become Catholic, one's an atheist now, and he's just, he's just perplexed. He can't, he can't figure out what happened, what, where he and his wife went wrong, and they're in their 20s. And I said, well, God can bring them back. But he thinks he failed in communicating Christ you know, and the Holy Spirit and the walk with the Lord. And uh, so I think you, we've got to, we had, to, when we were homeschooling, if we had a discipline issue, um, that's what we did that day. I mean, we'd, we'd stopped academics and we, we gave them a spanking well, and, it, it, and it, had it, to memorize verses for, for, for the sin problem that they were dealing with. Wouldn't you say that with many Christian families, husbands and wives, and, and listen, in, in, in interest of full disclosure, I've done everything wrong with my children that could possibly be done. And they're reaping the whirlwind for me having mm-hmm. done that. But but when you say when you say to a father or mother about you mention the term discipling your children, it's mm-hmm. almost like you get this deer in the headlights look. Well, they don't. The churches don't teach it. We should have parenting classes. We should have uh, classes on uh, family worship. I was talking to a Baptist preacher in uh, in uh, Columbia not too long ago, and my wife taught with his wife at a Christian school many years ago in Southern Baptist uh, about. A little about 10 years younger than me he's been in the ministry a long time and successful parents and he told uh, she told Gail oh boy 15 years ago this story when they were in school together on, on the faculty she said Jay and I decided when they were in seminary went to Southwestern Baptist Seminary that whatever we did we would find a way to give our children they didn't even have any children at the time a Christian school education they didn't homeschool but they gave them a Christian school education and indeed they did. They had two sons, both of them walking with the Lord. They're married now, and one's a professor at a Christian school. She said, we hung out with three other couples that were newly married and who were studying to be preachers. And these were Bible-believing, gospel, Southern Baptist preachers, not liberals. And every one of those others public school their kids, and every one of them have a delinquent or prodigal child or two. And I said, do you think they know why? And she said, she doubts they even understand it to this day. So I was talking to Jay, the pastor, a year ago, year later, a year ago, and he and he rem- we talked about this situation. He said, "Ray, not only did we send the boys to a Christian school, but we had family worship every night after supper." And he says, "I think that was as important a reason for their continuing in the faith as the schooling situation." You know what I said to him? I said, "I said, uh, Bill, uh, Jay, I said." You need to start preaching that. <laughs> well, it, it's time. It sounds to me like, um, and, and I know there have been some, uh, mm-hmm. uh, maybe some uh, prominent, high-profile men who have gotten in hot water with their their denominations for basically calling, uh, sending your children to government-run schools sin. They've just mm-hmm. right. They've just called it sin. They yeah. call it rebellion. They yeah. call it mm-hmm. abdicating of your parental responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that's the issue. We need to just—it's in the same way that we that we that we call the church to uh-huh. repent uh-huh. for failing to rise up to put an end to child sacrifice. Uh-huh. We need to call the church to repent uh-huh. and in fa- feeding our children to Moloch vis-a-vis the state education. Uh-huh. Uh, There's a big big fight machine. going on going on right now within the Southern Baptist Convention over this and. 
we've had uh, uh, T.C. Pinckney and Bruce Short, who have been part of my ministry, put resolutions up in 2004. It became an international news story. And then Vody Bauckham and uh, Bruce Short continued on. And the convention has knocked these resolutions down, but the good news is that they're going in our direction. I've been told that half the faculty, staff, and student body at Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and in Southeastern Baptist Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, are homeschooling dads, including Al Moeller, the president of the seminary. So the trajectory is good, but it's just not going fast enough. Yeah, provided they don't... uh that's not good for the king's kids, yeah. but, but, but they preach it, as you said. Uh, let's, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, one of the things I want to do before we do is, is uh, you just give a, a minute of, of uh, sort of promoting the um, Exodus Mandate ch- chapters okay. that are located and tell our audience, uh, Brother Ray, how – would you say it's a fair statement that every homes- well, every homeschooling family mm-hmm. – needs to belong or be affiliated with or know their local Exodus Mandate chapter or start one? Well, I think it's start one. We're kind of scarce. I mean, so I I don't want to give those out over the air, but if they're interested in helping us, they can contact us at exodusmandate.org, exodusmandate.org, and the uh, phone number for the office is 803-714-1744. And the email is exodusmandate at gmail.com. So we do have activity in about 20 states where they're volunteers, so sometimes they're not active as, as they need to be. The main way we've gotten our message out is through videos, books, literature, and I have done lots of radio talk shows. I have been on the Christian uh, radio talk show with some big programs. Uh, Moody Radio has had me a number of times, uh, Issues in Education, Janet Mefford. And I've reached millions of people on the on Christian radio, and they like me because it's controversial. Brother Ray, if a family, a young Christian family, uh, comes across indoctrination, they maybe mm-hmm. see it on YouTube, they, get, they watch the trailer, they order it, they watch it, mm-hmm. and they're provoked and they want to move forward, but they're afraid. They, uh, is, is someone available to hold their hand, to walk them through it, to give mm-hmm. them the baby steps? And, yeah, we and can get them started. Them. We can get them started. We can help them direct them toward curriculum and different things we're kind of a broker for a lot of different groups uh they can if they contact us we'll mail them literature and some materials that'll help motivate them they've got to see it theologically if they're christians the you main- think it's important that a, a, a family interested in traveling this path mm-hmm. taking the road of obedience mm-hmm. to family or covenant education mm-hmm. that it's imperative that they affiliate with a local body with uh, where homeschooling is promoted, encouraged, and well-represented? Mm-hmm. I'm at a point in my life where I have struggled with the dereliction of duty of many of our evangelical pastors, that if you're in a church, because uh, some of the uh, evangelical churches will persecute, I mean, not badly, but they'll you know, speak against the homeschool family. Who do you think you are? You're better than we are that I, I personally couldn't go to a church where a pastor didn't support this or if he public schooled his kids. To me, it would be, it's just that serious. It's setting a bad example. I couldn't go there, and I'm not saying he's not a man of God or not preaching the gospel, but this is a paramount issue of our time. If we don't get out of these schools in the next three to five years, we're going to lose everything. And this is not a, this is, I think we would both be in agreement with this. We won't, we won't win the, we won't win the culture war. This is a, this is a, this is an obedience issue. Right, yeah. We, that's, in fact, I'm glad you asked, said that because if I had one insight, the biggest insight that I have gotten through doing this for 20 years, and I'm not unique. I mean, I, I would say most of the elders in this congregation would agree, but I have been willing publicly to promote this idea and state it all across the country to everybody. And it, because I have been willing to do this, the Lord said, okay, I'm going to let you keep going because you've not compromised on this question. But we teach and believe that how you educate your children is part of your walk of obedience and faith to Christ. You know, you do not have permission from God to put your children in pagan education. It's a, diso- it's a disobedience. And I have taught that, and it makes a lot of people mad. But if they see it and grasp it, they, they can repent and then come over and do what we're talking about. And we're seeing a lot of that happening. It's good news. Brother E. Ray Moore, uh, Exodus Mandate, one more time. ExodusMandate.org. 
uh, and that's our webpage. And then please go to the uh, movie webpage, escapecommoncore.com. Very good. Thank you for joining us here on The War Room. Thank you for joining us in The War Room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete weekly lineup of eight distinct podcasts. Starting on Sunday, setting the record straight with pastors Gordon Runyon, Jason Garwood, and Joseph Randall Spurgeon. Mondays, the Post Mill Report with Nathan F. Conkey. Tuesdays, Acts to the Root with Bojidar Marinov. Wednesdays, the Hellraiser Report with Scott Allen Buss. Thursdays, The War Room, with Bill Evans and Jason Sanchez. Fridays, Once Dead, where Christians give testimonies of God's grace upon their lives. And Saturdays, Restoring America One County at a Time Lectures, with Joel McDermott. And our new podcast, No Neutrality, with various contributors. Please don't forget to subscribe to each individual podcast or... The Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where you will get all of the content we produce, including our free audiobooks. Don't forget to go to reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator and to partner with us financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.